Sandy Rios with you on Sandy Rios 24-7. You know, there are some really great guys and gals serving in Congress right now. And our frustrations uh, sometimes tend to drown out their accomplishments or their courage. And trust me, when you're serving in a Congress like this one and you stand on principle, you have to have nerves of steel. I think you saw that during the speaker's race where uh, really there were five left standing in the end, and they were taking they were taking a beating. And then the 20 before that were also taking a beating uh, because they were trying, they did not want to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Um, the five didn't want him at all. The 20 agreed that if he would, well, the 20 felt that if he would agree to negotiate on letting members of Congress take back their the part that's constitutionally given to them of making decisions on behalf of their own constituents, uh, and the rules and the budget and all of that, there were a lot of contingencies that they would accept him. But it took a lot of courage because um, the Congress is ruled with an iron fist by the leaders of the parties, and it has become corrupt. It's become a very corrupt entity. Well, our next guest is one of those courageous men, and I, it was just a, pl- a pleasure and a privilege to interview him at CPAC recently, and I wanted you to hear what he had to say. Plus, he has some good news, at least good news to me. For those of you that are concerned about J6, you'll want to make sure that you listen to this conversation. But uh, you know that we have a, a great sponsor, Preborn, is the sponsor of this show. While our administration considers declaring a public health emergency on abortion, the battle is far from over. Overturning Roe versus Wade was huge, but let's not forget this. Day after day, young women, scared young women who don't think they have options, are choosing abortion. Preborn Network Clinics has rescued over 200,000 babies. The majority of the women who come to their clinics are being pressured to abort. And Preborn seeks these women out before they make the ultimate choice and introduces them to the life growing inside of them through a free ultrasound. And we, you and I, are the fuel that allows Preborn to offer these young women free ultrasounds. Once a woman hears that heartbeat and sees that precious life, the majority of time she will choose life. It's only $28. That's what an ultrasound costs. $140 provides five ultrasounds. So come on, let's save some lives today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that because abortion doesn't stop, so we can't stop. Just go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy and, and, you know, make a generous donation and we will appreciate it. And certainly I think God will, you know, God sees each and everything you do. And when you give generously for something like this, um, it doesn't go beyond his notice. So thank you in advance for doing that. All right. Well, today, relax and sit back and enjoy actually some good news for a change on Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio. Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. All right, Sandy Rios, 
Sandy Rios 24-7, coming to you from the very noisy CPAC 2023. And, um, you know, uh, we don't often have favorable things to say about Congress these days uh, in either chamber. <laughs> it's just a lot of frustration. But there are some real champions, and you often hear me say that as long as they're there, we can't stop. We have to have their backs. And so one of them is sitting across from me today. It's uh, Congressman Dan Bishop from... Uh, it's the 9th District in North Carolina. Yeah, it's now 8th. It was 9th. It's 8th. Oh, it's hard right. to keep up with. They, 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 change they changed it in the yeah. uh, in the districting that just happened. Yeah. Thank you, Sandra. Okay. It's nice to be with you. And so, and you're you're sort of a, a newbie. It's interesting to be a, a newbie when you're when you're not a newbie, right? When yeah. My staff tells me to quit calling myself new. Uh, I, I, I've been there three and a half years. I uh, was elected in a special election in 2019, but you're right. You know, it's funny. Uh, that is sort of a newbie, yeah. Um, and yet, uh, we, we, we've gotten accustomed to members of Congress staying there forever and ever, and not sure they should. So, so you could look at it as a mid-career point. <laughs> oh, <laughs> three years, three and a half, four years in. I have a story to tell you. It has nothing to do with anything, but I just went through my mind. Um, I was at a Republican women's muckety muck thing yeah. in Northern Virginia, and these. The speaker was uh, one of the librarians of Congress. I don't think she. I think she was retired librarian yeah. of Congress, and she, you know, as you well know, the Library of Congress supplies information to congressmen, to the White House, you know, any kind of historical information if you're preparing a speech or you're traveling somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. She was asked what the most bizarre question was that she ever got, and this is only. Uh, I'm just saying this is maybe five years ago, six years ago. I don't know, and she said that. Um, a sitting congressperson sent over a question, what did Abraham Lincoln do when he left the White House? Oh, goodness. <laughs> so let that soak in. That's the kind of people you're serving next to. <laughs> next time you wonder why uh, they, you know, yeah. it's really not, it's pathetic. Cause it's like the Jay Leno of Congress. Like when he used to go out on the street, you know, and ask yeah. people historical questions <laughs> and have a clue. Yeah. That's who's serving in Congress. What a shame. So many, yeah. All right, well, Congressman, there are so many things to talk about, so let me jump right in. I, many people are really concerned right now about stopping the World Health Organization from taking over the control of our health care, our pandemic response, right. and other, other things, maybe even our Second Amendment rights, declaring, giving them the ability to declare an emergency whenever they feel like it, and having, having the power to do that internationally. Um, I've heard lots of discussion about what's possible, but from your perspective as a congressman, I'm sure you guys are discussing this, is there a way to stop this? There's probably not a way to stop Joe Biden from sending somebody over to uh, participate in that meeting and, and putting his signature on something, but it doesn't constitute a treaty of the United States, and so some of the concerns, you know, it's interesting, we see in so many ways the law having been weaponized, I'm sure we'll talk about the select subcommittee on the weaponization of government in due course, but uh, the left's uh, capacity for weaponizing law is fascinating. Uh, they, they, because everybody knows, including those who are concerned about this WHO treaty, what the WHO treaty um, that they're proposing, that it doesn't take effect unless the United States Senate ratifies it uh, with a two-thirds vote. And, uh, and even if it did, the, the Senate can't um, assume and confer power or sovereignty in, an, in a treaty that is beyond its power under the Constitution anyway. In other words, as it, you know, when President Biden tried to mandate, did mandate, 
the vaccine, uh, ultimately the United States Supreme Court said you can't do that. We all knew he couldn't do it uh, because the United States government has no so-called general police power. That's invested in the state governments. They decide what happens in a, in a, in a um, to, to respond to a public health emergency, really. The federal government's power is quite limited under the Constitution. So those things are true, and yet they don't provide much comfort because uh, Joe Biden did issued the mandate and millions of Americans took a vaccine that they might not have taken. And we're forced. We're right. forced. Right. And so the, it's a, the perversion of law, the abuse of law in that way, weaponization of law as I described it, is a big problem. So we probably can't stop him I mean, because he's the President of the United States, I guess, and and he uh, is um, going to, you know, presumably sign, you know, have somebody sign that or sign his name to it, whatever it's going to be. And it will probably, it's going to have some effects. It'll have effects around the world. It's gravely to be concerned about. I think we ought to let people know about it. We ought to build animosity among the American people to anything like that that will, that, stri- that seeks to strip American people of sovereignty. And then uh, we need, to, I mean, I'm a co-sponsor of Chip Roy's bill to, uh, to, re- to withdraw our membership from the uh, World Health Organization. I think Trump was right about that. It is part of the overall globalist uh, globalist infrastructure that is omnipresent in our lives actually that was kind of my next question because my understanding is there's some discussion because your branch of the government the, the house of representatives has the holds the purse strings has to authorize all the spending that perhaps in this debt ceiling fight you could stop funding the world health organization Conceivably, there are. I mean, I can tell you that we are. You know, just as we, uh, leading up to the twenty who contested the speakership in January, we worked for nine months really on components and aspects of what we were seeking to accomplish. There, people say, some people say, why didn't you get that all taken care of before you got on the floor on January third? Well. leadership wasn't receptive to discussing the things that needed to be talked right. about. Right, and what, what you're talking about is process. The process has been so corrupted in the House over the last several decades, really, right. uh, that you guys had no power. They'd taken all the power away from individual members, and so that's what you're saying. Part of that, A huge part of that fight was regaining back your ability to represent your people. That was the purpose of it, but yeah. the preparations for that are much, much longer by periods of you know, months or close to a year than people generally understand. And by the same, I'm just using that as an analogy, um, the same is true uh, with respect to the debt ceiling fight that is coming. Uh, we, you know, frankly, if we hadn't ac- achieved what we achieved there, we would not have the foundation for what we're working internally in the Republican conference now in terms of how exactly that, that ought to look. Um, I do believe, you know, we have these key leverage points. The debt ceiling is one of them. We have a lot of things on the list to worry about. And is is defunding the World Health Organization one of the things that we could hope to accomplish here? I think it will be among the candidates for consideration. Uh, there are some other things that are probably more in, uh, immediately imperative. <clears throat> Beginning to turn the ship of state into a more fiscally responsible direction. Making sure we have, uh, we, uh, have an immediate fiscal year 2024 spending. Uh, rescissions of money that's, that is going to be gone, uh, irretrievable if we don't do it. Uh, maybe something that would fundamentally change the regulatory picture in the United States in one fell swoop. So we're looking for big items. Um, 
I certainly think this has to get done. We also got to get something done about our open border. So, but I, it's it's a it is on the list of things yeah. that people think should be considered as one of the candidates for the debt ceiling fight. I, I think there's no question. You guys are undermanned and overwhelmed. Uh, but I would really encourage you because based on what I'm ta- what I'm hearing. Tedros would have the ability to declare an emergency, even a gun emergency, a health emergency, yeah, um, and take away gun rights. All of that stuff is on the table, yeah. so it's worth it's worth that. It, I just, it's important. It is important. I wish you could do it all. Just I know it. Put it all on there and just do a, a omnibus opposition to the uh, spending bill. Anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. So I want to before we leave COVID though, because I want to give you credit for something that you you've done. I, I love this. I'm. I, I'm one of those persons that just about split several gaskets during the COVID, uh, COVID restrictions and the masking so. and the vaccine. And I had a caller to my radio show who uh, was on the waiting list at Vanderbilt for a kidney. Uh, just an incredible woman, a professor, college professor, had been a basketball player, just brilliant. I think she taught physics. And they'd taken her off the list because she wouldn't take the vaccine. Yeah. And I say that because you're doing something about that. You want to tell us, uh, tell our, my listeners about this? I, I have a similar situation in my state. There was a young lady, I think 14 years old, who was a, a, a transplant patient, and they wouldn't proceed with the operation unless she uh, took the vaccine. And um, uh, so we've got a bill filed that would outlaw discrimination based on vaccination status. Frankly, it's one of many things in this area that need to be done. Yes. But it is it is a, a critical one. We need to so that we, we saw the tide advance. We've already talked about Biden's uh, mandate, uh, vaccine mandate. The, the United States Supreme Court mm-hmm. stepped in and uh, and protected us from that ultimately, but not immediately. And now we need to roll back that kind of thinking in the opposite direction a long way. I also comes to mind there was a young man who grew up with my son. Uh, my son's 22 years old, so it gives you the age, uh, an age, an idea of age. And I've known him for his entire life, this other young man. And he was in the United States military. He had been accepted into Navy SEAL training. Um, he declined to, to be vaccinated, and which I think is a very sound decision for a young man who's, who's uh, had COVID and doesn't uh, uh, suffer any or doesn't, doesn't, isn't in the high-risk group for serious complication or death. But he wouldn't do it. And so they sort of put him on ice. He sat in the military for nine months. He'd already basically, basically had given up his uh, plan to be a SEAL. And um, and then they couldn't get he couldn't get out of the military. So he was in this, you know, when you're 22 years old and you go spend 10 months doing nothing because you don't have any duties, you're not training for a role, your role's been eliminated in terms of your what your plan is for your career. And at the same time, you can't pivot and move on to something else. Nine, ten months is an eternity for a young young person like that. And by the same token, uh, this would we've already, of course, now and and finally in the National Defense Authorization Act that we just passed, we uh, commanded or compelled the Secretary of Defense to repeal that vaccine mandate. wasn't really as good a, a piece of legislation as I would have liked, but it did do that job. But my bill would go further and say, under no circumstances can. Um, anyone in the country be discriminated against on the provision of health care and their careers uh, and, and certainly not by the federal government in terms of the available benefits and uh, from the federal government on the predicate that they've chosen that they've made a choice which is fundamentally theirs 
whether to be vaccinated. You know, on that same tone, the same subject, before we leave it, um, you mentioned the military, so I have to tell you, I, I, hear, I have a lot of military listeners. I've done interviews on them, I've done nightmare stories, the things that they've been through, like you just described, your son's friend, uh, and worse, people with families, uh, just horrible things. And people have taken vaccinations and been injured. Yep. It's a nightmare. So my question is, is it true, is it true that those that had to leave the military because they would not be vaccinated are going to be reinstated? Well, there's no provision in law to do that yet. There should be. That's one thing. See, I, I, I actually think, Sandy, that m- many times what you see produced by Republicans, and I don't want to encourage people to never be satisfied with Republicans because it's a tough, it's a tough business. But I do, I mean, a testament to the to the condemnation that we were prepared to accept in the first couple of days of that speaker contest back in January. I really have this. I've always, when I was out in the, in, in you know, back home before I even had any thought of of uh, ending up in Congress, I just wanted somebody to get off their ass and do something and go to the mat once in a while. Actually, go to the mat a lot. And um, and I think Americans are extraordinarily discontented with uh, the, the willingness of Republicans to fight for them. And it's got to stop. It has to change. I intend to change it. Um, but I think on most of these things, like they would say right now, well, we only control the House of Representatives. And we got all the problems that we always have in the Republican Party in terms of people who don't seem to have the courage or, or uh, weather vane to know where they ought to be on a lot of issues. But you also have the Senate controlled by Chuck Schumer and uh, and by Joe Biden's the president. So what can you accomplish? I think in many, it seems to me, my observation has been that the Republicans always get our ass kicked in every deal. And, and it's a question of will. It's a question of will. And it's time for... Uh, us to tell Kevin McCarthy, and that's effectively what we've done. We're going to work on a handful of these things. We're going to accomplish them, and they're going to give in, and they're going to let they're going to agree to it because uh, they want things they want. And um, and and Kevin McCarthy then is going to, by virtue of that, is going to have to turn look in Mitch McConnell's eye and Chuck Schumer's and ultimately Joe Biden's and say, "This will be done." Do you think he's doing that? I think he's. Uh, I think. Look, I think uh, Kevin McCarthy is not a conviction politician. He has certain leadership talents. Conviction's not one of them, but we've aligned his incentives perfectly. Uh, it's very clear we have a good enforcement mechanism. The deal that we struck, which has you know, is, is quite significant, change the way the Congress operates procedurally, uh, specific agreements we did reach on, um, on legislative policy commitments, and finally, personnel, distributing personnel in the Congress in a way that would let voices of conservatives and change agents be heard, it is it is being observed. I mean, we're it is playing out. Now, we haven't seen all of it play out, and it's not going to be easy, but he's generally done fine. There's That doesn't mean, I think, without exception. I mean, I think it, when uh, I would have turned over all the documents and the, and the video out of January 6th in my first week there, if I were a speaker, and he hasn't, that hasn't happened yet, but... Um, but we're, most things are headed, it's seemingly in the right direction, including these key policy fights. All right, so speaking of J6, you are on the uh, subcommittee of the select subcommittee for the weaponization of whatever the yep. rest of the title is. Yep. All right, so will J6 be under that? Yeah. Is it under you? It, 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 oh. a, a number of people could get at that, but we're the. In the speaker fight, that was the item that I negotiated. And. Um, and and I and and it was there was I can tell you there were some uh, 
pretty unpleasant meetings because we were going to have that subcommittee vested with all of the authority it needs to, so that nobody can make any excuses in terms of what we can learn and find out about. And, and the breadth is, is, is across the federal government, anything that's impactful or impairing uh, civil liberties of Americans. And you probably can't think of a better example than the people who've been destroyed by the January 6th, uh, you know, the, the response of the federal government. And are being destroyed. I just yeah. I just interviewed a young man last week. He's getting ready to spend his, celebrate his third birthday mm-hmm. incarcerated mm-hmm. without having a trial. Had, see, uh, I, I mean, interviewed a, a young a woman this morning. Her husband has been in there for two. She hasn't seen him in two years. And his crime, he was a deputy sheriff. He was there. Yeah. Roseanne Boylan was being beaten by a capital, uh, no, a D.C. policewoman. Yeah. Uh, she was beaten and died, actually, mm-hmm. and he was trying to help her. He was giving her, uh, resuscitating her. And that, that was his crime because um, it's here. It's so bad. It is so bad it's unconscionable. And I, I also just was uh, informed that Rasmussen did a poll on how the American people feel about this. And mm-hmm. I... As I recall, about 80% of them, and it was across both parties, yep. uh, were really said yes to the question, did you feel, was someone else, look, I can't remember the question exactly, yep. but basically was someone infiltrating, was there something nefarious, was yep. there something going on there untoward that we couldn't see, and 80% said yes. I can't remember how it was phrased exactly yeah. either. I think I've yeah. seen that in yeah. that poll, and, and, and people are uh, do believe that's likely to happen to have happened. Uh, I remember uh, very recently Clay Higgins from Louisiana, a member, good member, you know, asked Chris Ray, the director of the FBI, can you tell us that there were no federal agencies, uh, no, no federal agents uh, inside the building dressed in Trump gear before that began? And he said, I can't talk about that. It's an ongoing criminal investigation. And, and Clay said, well, can't you say no? And uh, it was a marvelous moment. But, we're, you know, and, there's, and let me tell you this, Sandy, so I want to be clear. There's going to be stonewalling against the efforts we're undertaking. There always has been every time something like this has occurred in Congress, an effort like this. But it also is a question of will. And uh, and I can tell you that for, for and, and there's some internal conversations that we don't always make public and uh, spout about because it wouldn't be constructive to do. But Matt Gates and Thomas Massey and John, Mike Johnson, Louisiana, and me, uh, we are... We are going to pursue this with everything we can possibly bring bring to it. That's the best news I've had all day, honestly. Uh, I, I have a theory, and I would you would know. So, this is my theory: that you guys were in the chamber on January the sixth, and so what you knew was what you experienced inside the chamber, yep. which is all this loud noise, uh, this fear, uh, uh, rightfully so. Like, what are they doing, and are they going to, you know, and. Immediately, there was this narrative that these were insurrectionists. Well, they don't know if they used that word right away, but they, that's what they were showing. They were showing the worst moments, rioters yeah. who were there to kill or harm the congresspersons. And this is what you guys heard in the chamber. Mitch McConnell, scared, I think, scared to death, was so upset that they had disrupted democracy, he said. But those of us on the outside saw things very differently. And I often wonder if the reason why Congress has been so slow, from my perspective, to get involved in this, just I couldn't wake them up. I couldn't, no matter what I said, I couldn't wake anybody up. Yeah. They were afraid to weigh in because the narrative right there, and certainly in D.C., was that that was terrible. How dare our people yeah. do that? But now there's more information. Right. So, all right. 
do you think that's what happened, that you guys experienced that and kind of in your brain that's what happened because you were in the room, but you weren't seeing the whole picture like many of us were seeing it? Well, I think, Sandy, that there actually have been a variety of experiences. I can tell you I was in the chamber, the house chamber, and there were moments that were concerning. But for me, it was a far more intense experience when I was in the General Assembly in Raleigh, North Carolina in 2016 after a Democrat governor had been elected in the lame duck session. We were making some changes. And they had this an old rickety building, and they had 3,000 people jumping up and down in the antechamber outside. I thought the building was going to collapse. It was, it was far more intense an experience for me. Now, I think Mike Pence was uh, probably concerned and, and others. So, so others, there, there were a variety of experiences. But let me get more directly at what you're asking. Um, and, and there's some truth to what you say. I, I think it is, it, what is true is Democrats, the left, media, the, 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 the fact that they're, how can I put this? I don't know if you recall, I, I came, and I, there was a time I just sort of took a vacation from politics, but during that time I came up to Glenn Beck's rally in Washington during the Tea Party era. Was that September? You know, I can't remember. I, well, think I think so. my husband and I were both there. Like people from all was, over the country. It was it was massive. It was a massive. It was we massive. were there. It was September. Of the, and, but what you saw is that, is that you know there was the Tea Party folks were vilified by media and all, and we were. But everybody, it was just mass number of people descended on Washington, and they were behaved themselves like like uh, they left the place citizens. clean. They, they cleaned the up after themselves. They you know, picked up all their trash and put it in their trash bags and hauled it away with them, and they were just per. And unfortunately, the, our enemies throughout uh, institutions in, in federal government, if we step a moment, a step away from that, they will they will use the opportunity to further their power. And they really did do that successfully with the January sixth riot. Uh, I don't think the and I think there were there some false flags in the rioters. It probably says. Were there some Trump folks who kind of got out of uh, out of hand? Yeah, I think there were. Um, it, it, but, but I I can't I, I'm I like everyone else am taken and and uh, dumbfounded by you know the comparisons. There was law, there were a couple of lawyers in New York City who actually threw Molotov cocktails in a BLM uh, rally. They ended up being sentenced to 15 months, 12 months in those in two different sentences. There's a guy who, he may have had a law enforcement background, background, but he allegedly sprayed some bear spray or pepper spray on a line of cops. And it says it made them sick. I don't think that's what happened. Julie Kelly's made this very clear. It was the, op, it was the, the use of, uh, of gas munitions by the Capitol Police themselves who were overwhelmed and made dumb decisions, but overwhelmed. Uh, that, that I think causes people to be sick. But understand, this is somebody who sprayed some bear spray. He went to he was sentenced to prison recently for 80 months. And and th- this guy, it appears to me, look, I think it's, it's probably not helpful to jump to conclusions about everything. What we need to do in this committee is proceed deliberately and with great specificity and care and systematically so that we can demonstrate that that, in fact, is the disparity that it seems to be. That's, the, that's not justice. And the fact that the government wants to react in the January 6th situation because your supposition or your, and, and I think there's something to it, that, you know, among those who are doing it, that, who are in charge of that, who sort of say, well, yeah, we've seen a lot of riots, but you can't riot against us. You can't threaten our, you know, 
you can go burn down all the businesses in Minneapolis, but you can't do that. Um, I think that that selective orientation is wrong, evil, inconsistent with the way law is supposed to operate in the United States. And yes, we've got to get after it. We've got to let that be known. And just to, uh, to add one more thing on that, you know, Merrick Garland made a speech, I think, or a statement last week, and I saw him. He's like standing with this, like this very arrogant gaze upward about how they're continuing to arrest people uh, regarding J6. It is, two years later, they've suddenly discovered crimes that were committed. So there are still so many people at risk. And I know you know this, but could I just say to you, Congressman, we need you. We desperately need you to do what I know you're going to do. Well, and so God bless you for taking you. that on. Thank you. I, I will say just quickly to it because I... Um, I intend to do everything in my power. Fundamentally, the power to decide what Merrick Garland is doing is Merrick Garland's and the president's. And um, Americans will need to step forward and make sure that we elect a president who can rectify what can be rectified. That, that is where the power resides, through clemency and pardon and so forth, to fix the excesses that have occurred. You're never going to be able to, do, to fix the things that have occurred in the meantime. But I can tell you this, if, if we don't see the left taken out of the executive branch by a president who is fully capable and committed to change things, I'm not sure how much more America can dangle over the cliff. And Congress cannot fix it by ourselves. Um, and, 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 and I'll have my hands full trying to keep everybody pushing as hard as I intend to push just to do the things that we can, which are mostly exposing, getting the information, calling people out, interrogating the appropriate people um, throughout government. We get to do that. One last question. Didn't, I think you've answered it, but I'm going to ask it differently. What can patriotic Americans do to help you and support you? What's the best thing they can do for you? Uh, do not give up. There is a, there is a, a substantial vein of opinion uh, that, I, that I hear far too often. Uh, I understand it. I can even sympathize with it. But those who say elections are being uh, uh, perverted, uh, the, the left has control of every institution, uh, we, we, we just, I'm not going to bother voting. Or I'm not going to bother, I certainly am not going to get out and engage in some civic activity or be, or be involved or maybe work toward change in my school, local school board. That is not an answer that is acceptable. I, I say this to Sandy, it's not an answer that is acceptable to God. And they need, and, and I hope everybody reflects on that, as frustrated as you get. But keep demanding that Congress do better. Figure out who your congressperson is. And if they're not engaged in, and they're not on the front of these fights, if you don't see them, you know, look up one of their hearings and see what they're doing. Are they asking some tough questions? Or, or find out whether they're pushing for subpoenas to be issued in exactly, hold them accountable. We need change in the Republican Party because the Republican Party is, it is very starkly clear the nation now depends because the left is gone. The Democratic Party is gone, and and we did and the protection of life, the protection of liberty, the protection of fundamental rights, the the resurrection, the restoration of the of the system of government that our founders gave us depends on the success of the Republican Party. You can be unaffiliated if you want. I'm not saying you got to get in the Republican Party, but and I'm not even saying I, I don't know, take it by one by one because I don't think anybody deserves unalloyed. You know, if, you, if your congressman is from a deep red district and they keep coming to Congress and sit on, sitting on the get rid of them. I'm totally with you on that. 
totally with you. I want to do a high five. <laughs> I feel the same way. I've actually tried to do that. Congressman Denton Bishop from North Carolina, you're a great gift to us right now. So thank you. I'm just a humble guy doing it, trying to uh, do do a day's work. Thank you, Sandy, for what you're doing and spreading the news, spreading the, the word. Sandy Rios 24-7 is growing, and we want to help you grow, too. If your business or nonprofit is interested in sponsoring Sandy Rios 24-7, you can email us at infoagemedia247 at gmail.com. That's infoagemedia247 at gmail.com. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Well, I'm guessing that might be the first time any of you have ever heard uh, the voice of Congressman Dan Bishop or even heard of him unless you're from North Carolina. And yet he had some great things to say, so encouraging. And I've asked Bruce to join me to talk about it. Bruce, I was especially encouraged by what he had to say about what he intends to do when when it comes to the J6 defendants. Yeah, that's uh, quite a unique position, unfortunately, among so many of our congressmen is for the most part, none of them want to touch this January 6th um, issue. It's like the third rail to them. And to hear a guy not only say, I'm going to talk about it, but to say, I'm going to do something, when he says it's a question of will, that's that's really it. it, it you know, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. Uh, this narrative has already been set, and they're swimming upstream against that narrative. Mm-hmm. So the only way you can hang in there is to have the will to do it. You know, when I think of that concept, I was thinking when, when Jeremy was wrestling in middle school, and it occurred to me as I was watching him that he could be equally matched, but if he, he or his opponent didn't have the will, it was the will uh, to, to you know hold a person until they cried, Uncle, what are you doing some wrestling? <laughs> it was to hold them down or, or pressure them until, and it, it, was, a ba- it was a matter of your will. Uh, and I, I just think that's an interesting thing. Plus, I, I think we all know that in our own lives, um, you've been in maybe a dangerous situation or precarious or difficult, and you say to yourself, "I'm going to make. I'm not stopping. I am not quitting. I'm going to put one front in front of the other, even though it seems impossible. I'm not quitting. It is a question of will. It's what armies need to have to win battles, and it can win a battle. An army that is not equipped can beat an army that has every bit of equipment if they have a stronger will. Yeah, it's like being a parent. You know, um, you see something going wrong with your child, and um, Everyone tells you, you know what, this child's already down the road with this. Uh, they're a drug addict or they're, a, um, they're into something they shouldn't be. Uh, it's too late now. And sure, the easy thing is to say, well, yeah, I, I don't know if I can do this. The only way you can do it is to have the will, to take that situation by the nape of the neck and say, I am not letting go of this until we beat it. Yeah. And so it applies to so many other things in life. Oh, one of the things I liked about Congressman Bishop is he, in his own understated way, he called lots of people out. I thought it was <laughs> hilarious when he said that, you know, he wasn't really afraid on J6, but Mike Pence was maybe, you know, I think he was a little concerned. And he was. He was like, a, a sorry, a panty waste, a major panty waste about what happened. He had to escape, and he made much of that. And we found out later he there was never a danger to Mike Pence. No. But um, I also you know, liked like, his, his comment about uh, Speaker McCarthy when he said, 
Well, you know, conviction is not really one of Kevin McCarthy's strong points as a leader. <laughs> Yet he does what he has to. Yeah. So, you know, translated, I wouldn't be that careful. I'm sure I would have some other more, you know, crass, less elegant way of saying that. But uh, this, he, this uh, Congressman Dish- Bishop is a tough guy. I love mm-hmm. that. Well, you know what I thought was interesting, too, is um, we saw this from Mitch McConnell uh, the outrage he had about the J6 people. It's like, well, you can't come in this place and riot. I mean, we had just watched a whole summer of places being burnt to the ground, police stations taken over, police cars burned, people beaten, killed, but nobody arrested and no outcry from Mitch McConnell. But boy, when the J6ers got near him. You can't come in here and riot. This is the people's house. You know, that reminds me. I just, do you remember we watched, I forgot where, which period of time this was. This is, I think, during the Obama administration. I can't remember, but uh, Mitch McConnell and his wife, Elaine Chow, were mm-hmm. at some event, and the protesters were getting a little too close to his car. This is when they were really harassing yeah. Republicans in public. And so uh, he jumps in the car, and his wife comes around the back of the car and starts taking other protesters. I thought that was so funny. I think they were leaving a restaurant, and they were confronted out on the street by some protesters. And all of a sudden, Mitch jumps into the car, and Elaine is left, his wife is left out there, and she gets right in their face and is pointing her finger at them, and he is nowhere to be seen. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, if you want to take the measure of men, that might be a moment to take the measure of it. All right. Well, with a little bit of humor. But we have some hope now that uh, Congressman Dan Bishop is actually going to uh, do get down to business on J6, and that's very encouraging. We'll be talking, by the way, uh, with some more J6ers in the, in the coming podcasts. We've al- already talked to them, and you're going to be listening. We've got some uh, really heart-rending and um, heartwarming stories to tell you. All right, so, and we couldn't do this if it weren't for our sponsor, Preborn. I want to remind you that uh, you're partnering to save babies and also to just encourage the show and help us to be able to continue to come to you in this way on Sandy Rios 24-7. It's $28 for one ultrasound, which is the way that uh, they, that's the major thing that they do is provide ultrasounds so that women can see their little baby in their womb before it's born in a great detail. And most women, when they see that, make the decision to keep the baby. If you would like to help make that happen and save babies' lives and women's lives too, their moms too, uh, you can uh, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. And one last thing, if you'd like to call us, if you have a comment, you can call us at 662-821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. Or you can email us at Sandy at AFR. Dot net. We're on all the social media platforms, and you can find us in all the podcast platforms. AFR.net is our home space. If you want to make it easy, on your smartphone, download AFR Talk. AFR Talk, and you can listen anywhere, anyplace, all over the globe. All right, well, listen, thank you so much for listening, and Bruce Rather, thank you so much for joining me. Any last thoughts? Well, I just joined the congressman uh, when you asked him, what can we do? And he said, don't give up. And I don't care is not an answer that's acceptable to God. Wow. Okay. With that, with that, we'll say goodbye. Thank you for listening to Sandy Rios 24-7.